Good evening, afternoon, night, morning, whenever you find a way to watch or listen to this podcast. Hardware is back for the first week of October. September is over. We can wake we can wake up Green Day and you know college football marches on. We're excited. As always, it's me, Omar, with my good friend Jackson, uh, who is really celebrating with uh Florida's blowout win over Eastern Washington. A, truly a signature win for the program by wearing his circle Florida shirt. Man, this is a throwback, like block F Florida shirt, man. You can't hate on that. Um, it was not, obviously, like you should blow Eastern Washington out of the water, right? That is what you should do. It was good to see it, though, because it's not always a guarantee. We know that from the USF game. We know that from uh, from other Lesser opponents that we've struggled with in the past, so it was good to see a blowout win. Although, the one thing I can't stand, the idiots on Twitter saying to start Jalen Kitten over Anthony Richardson. That's really got me heated, but those people exist, believe it or not. So, um, You can tell me one thing or another, because I simply do not watch Florida or the SEC, Jackson. So, I mean, whatever you say, I'll take I have t- no I'll idea, Omar. Word. You haven't mentioned it on the podcast before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got me there. Instead, I watch I watch swag football, you know, and like other conferences. I was at the State Fair Classic this past weekend. For those of you that didn't see our second straight on-site visit for uh, the Hardware Podcast. Um, by the way, they're not really on-site visits. It's just me going to games. You know, it's not yeah, really it's on-site Literally visit. just a guy going to a game. That's all it is. It's nothing special. They're not rolling out the red carpet. Trust me. If anything, if anything, and I and I've played with idea this idea with my friend Dylan. Um, shout out Dylan Casey, best friend from my school, is hour away up in Las Cruces. Um, I'm like, hey, you know, when I I plan on going to a JUCO bowl game in Roswell, New Mexico, it's it's a three hour drive from El Paso. But I was thinking about bringing like this TV tray that my computer lays on right now, and just like setting up like a college game day for this JUCO. You know, getting a two pocket pro helmets and like. Maybe finding one more guy in the area that would love to talk JUCO football outside outside of this outside of the stadium of the New Mexico Military Academy. That would be that that would be something. I'll be there with the sign if you can manage to do that. So you got to come with the Washington State flag, Jackson. <laughs> I think you're right. We got to get a Washington State flag on on site. It would be the uh, first consecutive hardware game day appearance by Washington State. Truly, truly too funny right there. Um, but I guess all joking aside, um, we discussed this week, I guess, um, we discussed shifting the podcast a bit as the season goes on. We are in the first week of November. The September Heisman has been given away. I think we can say that Bryce Young or CJ Stroud has won it. I mean, you pick whatever the September Heisman. But now we're going to look at some candidates that really set themselves apart, especially like this week. There were a couple guys that entered the conversation in, in a big way, at least on both of our ends, uh, our lists kind of look different, might look the same. We, we don't know who's on each other's list. So uh, we'll just start there with, like, some guys that may have hopped into the Heisman conversation um, starting with this past weekend. Absolutely. I will go ahead and go with the guy that I don't think is going to win it, but I just love that he is on, like, the only official list we have. Like, obviously, the Heisman doesn't have come out with the list, but if you're on the betting odds list, you're at least up there, right? You're being discussed. It's plus 30,000 odds, so, not, I mean, maybe put a few cents on it if you want to be rich on the off chance it does happen. A guy we've talked about on the podcast, Cameron Ward, the incarnate Ward transfer, now at Washington State. So a guy that, you know, has had quite a year so far, enough to get him on this list and just something I thought we'd mention, mention an old friend from our FCS spring season during COVID. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Cameron Ward, I mean, he fits the system out of Washington State. You know, he loved to sling the ball. Gardner Minshew, Anthony Gordon, even going way back to Luke Falk and Connor Halliday, they just love to sling the ball out there in Pullman, the Palouse. Uh, the one thing that hurts them though is they could not seal the deal against Oregon. You know, last or was it last week? Yeah, last weekend they could not seal the deal against Oregon or like two weeks ago, whenever the game was. Um, truly one of the most monumental collapses I've seen in recent memory. No offense, Washington State, but I think that hurts this campaign. But I mean, you never know. If I mean Washington State, I don't know if they draw USC. That would be the huge one I would look at. Games against USC or UCLA, for that matter, would be huge for his Heisman campaign. It would be. It would be huge. Um, You can put, like I said, put a dollar on it and you'll win like 300, right? So if you want to put it on an old friend of the podcast, but just thought I'd shout that out because I, I was scrolling through the list. So I was like, 
is that Cameron Ward? I ought it to be on perfectly honest. I didn't even realize he had transferred to, to Wazoo. So that was awesome to see. Omar, yeah. uh, there is only one group of five player on that list from the Action Network. Any guesses on who it is? Uh, Grace McCall, right? It is not surprising oh, That's wow. who I would have thought as well. It's John Rice Plumley, the quarterback from UCF. Oh, okay. That is love on that. Him. Love him. Love John Rice Plumley. He's electric. Like, you know, Ole Miss, like, that, yeah. that man could run the heck out of the ball at Ole Miss, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Grayson McCall is probably maybe the best group of five quarterback, right? Because unless you're at Alabama running back or wide receiver, you really have no shot at it, right? As anything other than a quarterback. So I think really you have to exclusively look at quarterbacks. I think Grayson McCall is probably the best group of five quarterback out there. So personally, I would put him on the list. It makes me wonder with UCF, right? If UCF Cincinnati, some of these group of fives that are getting a little bit of a special treatment. You wonder if that Big 12 agreement has anything to do with it with conference realignment. That's my thoughts only. At least I think informally they're considered a tier above the group of fives that did not get that invite, right? I could be wrong on that. That's just kind of my impression that, hey, eventually you're going to be welcome to the club. We can kind of give you a little bit of preferential treatment on there. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you mentioned that, too. I guess, uh, so going off, going off about the first couple guys on my list, um, you know, Pac-12, center Pac-12 note. Uh, I'm not sure if DTR is on your list. Dory and Thompson Robinson. But probably one of the most electric Friday night performances in recent memory. I mean, that was, like, probably, like, one of the best Friday night games that we've had, um, excuse me, over the past couple of years, where it's, like, actual, like, there's, like, Pac-12 ramifications at stake. It was a showcase game, granted, after dark. But DTR, like, did not disappoint last week. I mean, he, he had a number of, of highlight plays last week. He had the hurdle. He had the the juke, the, the great juke at the goal line. And, I mean, UCLA kind of cemented himself right now as it stands as a Pac-12 contender, possibly a playoff team, despite their their struggles against Bowling Green and South Alabama. If this this team's still undefeated. If they're undefeated and they run the table in the Pac-12, I, I don't see the new, I don't see the, the playoff leaving out an undefeated Pac-12 team, especially with them beating U, USC. But DTR on the year has had a, I mean, he's had a pretty solid year. Very accurate, completing 74% of his passes. He uh, has 1,211 yards, 11 to 1 touchdown interception ratio, 31 carries, 223 yards, and three touchdowns with sacks account. I mean, with sacks accounted for. I mean, DTR will only put up bigger numbers as, I guess, you know, as he's in more shootouts and the bigger the games come. But I only expect DTR, excuse me, DTR's uh, Heisman stock to just increase if you see that he keeps winning. He was not on my list, but I'm glad that you brought attention to him. Obviously, someone who's had a, a great year thus far. And looking forward to see, hey, can he move up in those rankings? Can we look at these and see, hey, all we need, we know a lot of these guys aren't going to win it. We just want them talked about. Like, just bring some attention, right? We know that Heisman voting does not go as it should. These people are not staying up late for these late night kickoffs. They're not watching the All-22 on these games. They just know what the other media members are telling them for the most part, right? You're looking at storylines, not film. And I can understand that. It's a shame that when you give it to the best player in college football, it doesn't always go to the best. I'm going to go ahead and go with a guy that is on Alabama, but he's on the defensive side of the ball, and he really like should be more considered than he is right now. Obviously, I'm talking about Will Anderson. Would have been the number one overall pick last year should he have come out for the draft. And just incredible talent. A guy, an edge rusher, is the second most second most important position in football, and he's doing it night and day better than everyone else, right? I don't know if I quite agree with him and that it's disrespectful to go on the same field as him. I don't think he's quite at that level, as he said in a press conference earlier this week. But he certainly is is extremely talented. And if we're truly talking about, hey, the Heisman should go to the best player in college football, Will Anderson, I think, is going to be got to be one or two on that list. Definitely above Stetson Bennett. Dang, I know you're just saying that because you're a Florida fan. But uh, oh, nothing but love for the mailman on my end. But I will say this. I think Will Anderson is going through what I want to call the, the Jadavian Clowney effect, where monster season the year before, 
And I think defenses are now keying on him. We're like, people are saying, yeah, Will Anderson would be a Heisman finalist or should be a Heisman finalist. But now people recognize that. And, like, he may be doing great stuff on the All-22s, Jackson. That's something that you would know. But, I mean, like, the stats aren't there. I guess they, they aren't there like they were last year. Because last year was, like, probably one of the greatest. And Dominican Sue level season for on, on defense for him. The stats are definitely not there this year. But look at um, – it's an age-old comparison, at least as long as he's been in the league, Aaron Donald, right? Aaron Donald's stats are not really up there even, but he's getting triple teamed. It's, he's Even if he's not getting triple teamed, he is the center – of focus your shifting plays and designing plays in order to run away from him or to get around him. It's something that it it's it's schematic on offenses, right? It's like Alabama, you are probably going to beat me, but you are not going to beat me with Will Anderson, right? Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, but it's it's just hard because I mean, you got a stat, you got to stuff. That doesn't look good for Heisman voters, I will yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean. That, that's just a tough thing with defense because you can be the best player on the field like uh, Aiden Hutchinson was last year like uh, when people said that, yeah, this is the best player in college football. Ended up getting second in the Heisman voting, but, you know, plays defense. And the stats were great, but I guess not great enough, not transcendent enough to uh, get high in consideration. Uh, going on to my next player, I got – so I guess another, another riser – drop my mic. Another riser in the Heisman race I thought from last week was Max Dugan who um, has a huge game. I mean, Jackson, like, stop me if, if you had this, if you had a saying this sentence um, going to the season, or at the beginning of the season. Max Dugan has a chance to increase his Heisman stock with a game against Kansas where college game day is going to be there. Like, I don't think any of us saw us saying that sentence at all, but Dugan was electric last week. He had 302 pass yards, 116 rushing yards, only five carries against Oklahoma, and they just demolished the Sooners. On the year, Dugan has 997 yards, 11 touchdowns, zero picks, 23 carries, and for 149 yards and two touchdowns. And again, it's like I feel like TCU is going to be in some shootouts in the Big 12, especially when uh, when Quinn Ewers comes back from injury for Texas. Same thing, Texas Tech looks very good on offense. I mean, they'll be in some shootouts. So I think Dugan's Heisman stock is also rising up too, especially if, if TCU can find a way to uh, to win the Big 12. Maybe with one loss, you know, maybe undefeated. We'll see. I think the Big 12 has more depth than we were giving it credit for in the preseason. There are lots of teams that we we are still yet to find out where they are, but the ceiling is at least very high, and I think the expectations are pretty high for a lot of these teams as well, a lot higher than they were a few years ago when the expectation was, hey, we'll probably lose, but it'll be nice to win a few. Now, I think these programs are really expecting a lot. It's something you see despite the loss to Kansas State. It's something you see in the Texas Tech program. Something we've seen from Dave Aranda in the past few years. Teams like Kansas State and Kansas are starting to catch on to that as well. And Texas, Oklahoma, of course, the expectations are always going to be high just this year. They're not meeting those quite yet. I'll go ahead and go with a guy in order to win the Heisman, you need to have a Heisman moment, right? I think this he has an opportunity for a Heisman moment this week, even on the national level. Hendon Hooker, the quarterback from Tennessee, right, on the road in Death Valley this week. I, we'll, we'll talk more about the game itself, but I, spoiler alert, it is one of my games to watch, despite it being an SEC, Omar. But we'll, we'll get a little bit more in-depth about it. It's an opportunity to be in Heisman moment for Hendon Hooker. If he goes in and in Tennessee wins because of him, it'll say a lot and go a long way to a program that's already getting a lot of a national attention. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you mentioned Hendon Hooker because um, you look at the other end of the spectrum, like at Virginia Tech, Hendon Hooker was beat out by Braxton Burmeister, right? Braxton Burmeister transferred after Justin Puente gets fired and now Braxton Burmeister at San Diego State. Braxton Burmeister just came off a two for 13 game against, you know, for the Aztecs on Friday night. Um, it's just wild how college football is, honestly, how it works out. I guess how, how coaching, I guess how coaching can truly get the most out of a player. I, I know it sounds very simple and obvious that like, yeah, of course, good coaching is going to get the most player, but Hedden Hooker is like, he's evidence of that. Like with how electric he's been all year, like, and you saw flashes of it at Virginia Tech, but they just didn't unlock his potential, which is really sad for that program. Um, I mean, yeah, like that, that's really all I got to say about Hendon Hooker. Like even before the season, before the season, people were saying Hendon Hooker was that guy for the Heisman. Uh, of course, I don't watch the SEC much. So it's like, you know, 
I mean, I had seen flashes before. I'm like, I was like, Virginia Tech, Hennon Hooker, that guy that got beat out by Braxton Burmeister, the all right, you know, the, the good quarterback for, for Virginia Tech. I'm like, I, I don't know about that. Like, he got, he got beat out of the job for Virginia Tech. But, like, I mean, I take everything back. Hooker is probably the most electric quarterback to play for Tennessee. Electric, I'll say, uh, since Condridge Holloway in the 70s. Because, I mean, Peyton Manning's a pocket passer. That's not, that's not as electric to me as a guy, you know, that's a dual threat, you know. No one has ever called Peyton Manning electric. Fun to watch and very cerebral to watch, but not not electric by any means. That yeah, was um, that was my um. Or go ahead. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say I got I got a couple more guys. I guess like I wanna I wanna like play off some some possibilities to you right now. So the rest of my list composes of guys that are in the New Year's Six race from the group of five with marquee games coming up that could make a splash in the Heisman. And I'll start off with a guy that you might you may not have had on your radar, Jackson, but uh, definitely on one of your games of the weekend. I got Doug Brumfield for uh, UNLV. On the year, he's got 1,223 yards, eight touchdowns, two picks, 142 rushing yards, and five touchdowns. And in a few weeks, Jackson, we might see a one-loss UNLV team traveling to South Bend to play Notre Dame. If... If UNLV upsets Notre Dame, which is definitely in the realm of possibility after Marshall beat them at Notre at South Bend, do you think Doug Brumfield with a big game against Notre Dame enters kind of the Heisman conversation? He's got the big market. He's in Vegas. Like, he's got the market. He could have the marketing behind him to win the Heisman. But, you know, like, a win over Notre Dame would just kind of add to the legend of Doug Brumfield this year, especially if UNLV is in the New Year's Six race. Absolutely. I think a win over Notre Dame would certainly put him on that radar. Really, the only thing he can do in the meantime to get him on with any sort of national attention is to get an NIL deal with Roomba and have this catch on of of his home stadium being a big Roomba. I think if we can work with that, then he can he can do anything from there. But no, all joking aside, absolutely win over Notre Dame would put him on that radar. The uniforms alone are going to get the views, right? So I is is that broadcast is that going to be broadcasted on NBC? Do we do we know where it's uh, going? Let to me be? check that. I think that one was actually designated as a Peacock game as well as I, I think that one was was this year's Peacock game. But I'm checking right now. Uh, got it. So I let's see. <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately, that game is Notre Dame's Peacock game for the year. Um, it's still not sad. bad. I mean, plenty, yeah, of, bad. plenty of people subscribe to Peacock, so I don't think it'll be too much of an issue. Hey, he's he's six five, like over two hundred pounds, right? So he's got the size to compete with the big boys. Let's just see him do it, right? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Uh, so my next group of five guy that I want to, I guess, like hold up as a as a sleeper for the Heisman race. I got Michael Pratt, and and I know I know his Heisman stock dropped. We we had him as a sleeper after he beat Kansas State. But big news this week, Cincinnati Tulane at Nippert Stadium was moved from Thanksgiving Saturday to Black Friday. That game will probably be, if that game is the de facto, um, I guess, sort of eight American Athletic Conference eliminator, and it decides one of the spots for the, Ameri- for the American Athletic Conference title game, which it very well could, um, considering what, SMU, what just happened at SMU with a bunch of players considering sitting out the rest of the year just so they can enter the transfer portal. That I think that's got to drop SMU stock significantly as a, as an American contender. Same thing with Houston. Houston has looked very vulnerable. Tulane holds a tiebreaker over Houston. Or yeah, yeah, Tulane holds a tiebreaker over Houston. So like it looks like Cincinnati, Tulane, and Memphis are the three teams that are the top dogs for the American. So I mean, this game could be huge. Uh, could be an ABC game at three thirty or, or noon. Uh, I don't think it matters in terms of exposure as long as it's on, as it's on ABC. I mean, Michael Pratt this year, the passing numbers aren't great. Granted, I mean, 905 yards, seven touchdowns, three interceptions. But he has improved so much as a runner with 38 carries for 190, 197 yards with sacks accounted for. Where it's like, in this day and age, like you kind of got to be a dual threat to, I guess, to win the Heisman. I mean, Bryce Young was kind of an exception last year, given that he played for Alabama. But, I mean, he's a quarterback of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Threw for over like forty touchdowns on the Crimson Tide. Like it's, it's okay for him to not be a dual threat. But if you play for any other school, you kind of got to be a dual threat. Mike Pratt has shown that he's a better runner this year, and of course he has that big game against Cincinnati, which have could have a lot of implications. 
I find it interesting that we group Memphis, Memphis, Cincinnati, and, and Tulane really at the top. And I'm not saying it's it's deserved, but UCF not being in that conversation, they're yet to play an in-conference game. Their first is actually going to be Wednesday night, probably the night that the, that this podcast is coming out right against SMU. Do you think if they if they win that in a couple more, if we're looking at a at a five and one or six and one UCF team that we're grouping them in that category? For me, I, personally, I think it's Cincinnati and Tulane at the top, and then I think it's a gap, and then I think it's like Memphis, UCF, and then you can kind of mix in the rest as you'd like. But I, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I mean about that, we mentioned Memphis too. So like, I like Memphis because I mean. The record, the record's there for Memphis. Um, they have one loss, right? Uh, they lost to I think it was Mississippi State, I believe. Or um, sorry, I'm checking that right now. Um, gee whiz, my computer would just uh, cooperate. Yeah, they lost Mississippi State week one. They got blown out, forty nine twenty three. It's like not as competitive as you would like them to be in that game, considering they won that game in the Liberty Bowl last year with the Calvin Austin punt return that we all remember. You know that convert that controversial punt return. But I mean, like they've uh, they've taken care of business. You know, you got to say that about them. They've taken care of business. But the one red flag was this past week against Temple, where Temple led three nothing. I think heading into the fourth quarter, or like I guess even into the at least into the second half, the Temple Owls led Memphis uh, into the into the second half in a low scoring game. The offense didn't look as crisp. Um, I I think I think you're you're right in having Memphis significantly significantly lower than Tulane and, and um and Cincinnati. Excuse me, UCF. I think UCF's main ugly loss is that loss to to Louisville, honestly, because like if you look at the way that that Louisville season has gone, like it's it's just been disappointing. I mean, I know I was behind the Malik Cunningham hype train. Like, I mean, he's had such a great career, but in other games, they've taken care of business. Florida Atlantic, that team looks to be a bowl team. Uh, Georgia Tech, I mean, that's that's an ACC school. Um, so I guess I guess it kind of makes up for that Louisville loss. But I mean, you can even interchange John Rice Plumley for uh for Michael Pratt in that case. If uh, excuse me, if UCF is a is a title contender, I mean, eight hundred twenty seven passing yards, four hundred four rushing yards. I mean, really, I mean, he's an even better dual threat than than Mike Pratt too. So, I will say what Memphis has going for them is there. Remember, there are no divisions in the AAC. They lucked out in that they don't have to play Cincinnati this year. Really worked out for them. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting too in the future with with all these conferences going away from divisions. It's like it becomes more of a game of who don't you play, you know? Like because the tiebreaker exactly. is like exactly. exactly. So it's like that's and that could be the de- to the detriment of a lot of conferences where you have like a lot of sticky situations with like tiebreakers. But I'm all here for it. Uh, I got one more guy, Jackson. Uh, I'm not sure if this is one of your games to watch, but Jaron Hall of BYU, who's quietly, I'd say, quietly having a good year. I guess the the wheels in the BYU hype train kind of fell off after after their first loss, but BYU is still going strong. They're, I think they're still 19th in the country. Well, they came into the Utah State game, 19th in the country. Um, they took care of business against Utah State, one by two scores. But Jaron Hall is 1,438 yards this year, 12 touchdowns, one pick. But he's got a primetime game against Notre Dame Fighting Irish in the Roomba in Vegas on Saturday night. And that gave a great performance in that game. And honestly, the night slate is just so loaded. Like, I, I am so excited for the night slate. We got Notre Dame versus B- BYU. We have the red bandana game, which, spoiler alert, one of my games to watch. Uh, we have the red bandana game with Clemson and, and Boston College. Just such a loaded night game slate. But do you think if Jaron Hall has a strong performance against Notre Dame on prime time that he can vault himself into the highest? Because BYU is a household name. It is not a peacock game for BYU-Notre Dame, right? So absolutely yeah, not. exposure. And I think it's, you're not as far off. He's not as much of a dark horse as you would think. Again, what I like to refer to, I do not bet on Heisman. I don't bet on sports in general, but I do like to look at the odds for a lot of things because it can tell you at least what the public is thinking. He's given the same Heisman betting odds as Dorian Thompson Robinson, which I find kind of surprising. But it says a lot of what the general consensus is of BYU, right? So. Something to look at if he can really go as bad as Notre Dame looked in the beginning of the year. It's Notre Dame, right? They're still going to be considered. They're still going to get attention and thought of highly going to be given the benefit of the doubt, so to speak. So if Jaron Hall can really show out versus Notre Dame, goes a long way 
there aren't that many games left on BYU's schedule that are left to impress. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, with but with a few losses, with the way things have gone um, the past few weeks of college football, I mean, it's believable to say that they can land in the top 12 and snag that Cotton Bowl spot and play against a New Year's, a play, excuse me, play against a group of five teams. So, uh, like you said, like, I mean, the schedule's kind of thin, but that leaves some opportunity to vault up the rankings for, uh, for a New Year's Six bid. BYU-Notre Dame this week, and then remember the following week, Arkansas goes on the road to BYU. Right, right. Back-to-back showings for Jaron Hall will go a long way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Arkansas, I think I think KJ Jefferson is hurt, at least for this week. He got concussed. Not sure if he'll be out if he'll be out for the Arkansas game, but definitely something to look forward to. I mean, a great quarterback battle there. Um, I guess I, I guess uh moving on, because I think we forgot about our, our favorite part of the show. Uh the HBCU pigskin player of the week, uh, and to watch with Baldwin before us. I guess I'll go with my with my guy for the week. We have a graduate, we have a graduate quarterback, a graduate transfer. For the Bowie State Bulldogs, who have dominated the the, the CIAA in Division Two, they've done a great job. They I think they've made three straight playoff appearances. But little do you know that that uh, Bowie State has a good quarterback tradition. Uh, and tw- after the 2018 season, Amir Hall was invited to the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl, which like in the in the hierarchy of college football all games, you got the Senior Bowl, the East West Shrine Bowl. And then I'd say, honestly, the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl is, like, number three on that list. So, for him to make that out of a Division II school, nonetheless, very impressive. But De- but Dion Golat, Dion Golat Jr. broke Amir Hall's passing record with a 32 for 40 performance for 439 yards against St. Augustine. Um, very good performance for uh, for him and the Bowie State Bulldogs. They're 3-2. and two. They faced some tough opposition. Saginaw Valley State was is a very good Division II program they lost to. They lost a shocking game to Shaw University earlier in the year, but they appear to be back on track. Sorry, uh, not not St. Augustine's University. It was, um, excuse me, it was Livingstone University, my bad, against Livingstone, where he had 439 yards and four touchdowns. So I think if uh, if history bodes well, that Dion Golad Jr. could uh, not only be in the HBCU Pigskin Showdown or the Legacy Bowl, maybe even the, C- the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. Livingstone football Twitter is kind of really program out uh, much, honestly. But uh, uh, I mean, we'll we'll keep we'll continue to provide players to watch, uh, and you might just see them out there in uh, in Marion, Alabama, come December seventeenth on uh, on CNBC. Uh, I guess that's a good segue for our games of the week, uh, and there this slate is loaded. Uh, at least on the FBS side and on the FCS side, for which I pretty much took care of. You know, we kind of split it up. But Jackson, what is your first game of the week? My first game of the week to watch, I'm going to stick. Uh, I've got two Power 5 games, I hate to admit, and then I've got a, a very juicy Group of 5 matchup that I can't wait to talk about. We'll both talk about that one. My first one, though, Utah at UCLA. Um, Omar, Utah is a team that got something that is very rare in college football earlier this year, and that is a, a healthy reaction to a loss, right? Versus Florida on the road in the swamp, it's a tough place to play. It was a decent team that we weren't really expecting much, and they lost. And that's what it was. Florida got way overhyped because of it, but for Utah, that's what it was. All it was is that you were going – 2,000 miles across the country in a stadium that is almost double the capacity of your own, and you lost. And that was it. And I think because we had a healthy perspective of that loss, it's really allowed us to see Utah as they are. We didn't get too down on them. I I don't think we're getting too high on them yet, but I think we'll find out who they truly are against UCLA. Utah has been, man, they're the 11th best scoring offense in the nation, right? So they can get points. On defense, you think of um, you think of Utah's development of linebackers, right, and like physical, tough front seven players, most notably Devin Wood from this past year's draft, right. They have one of the best corners in the nation right now, in Clark Phillips. Clark has done amazing work this year. Last week, though, it was really the icing on the cake. He had a game ceiling pick versus Oregon State. Just when they were getting a little bit of momentum to really make it a one score game, he said, "Send it the other way." That said. Utah inside um, inside nearly the red zone, right? Did I mention he had like two other picks in the Oregon State game, right? He really dominated on defense single-handedly. He's a former Ohio State commit. He's played equally well in zone and man coverage. 
If he shows just a little bit more physicality, in my opinion, a little bit more of a willing tackler, a little bit more of a hard hitter, I think he's being talked about a lot more right now than he is. As far as UCLA goes, they had some like self-made adversity against South Alabama, right? It was a close game, won only by one point. They held a good Washington team, though, last week to 16 points because I, you really can't count the last 16, right? It did end in a one-score game. They were up three scores, uh, 24 points, actually. They were up 24 points going into the fourth quarter. So that game was done. Chip Kelly really brought in Bill McGovern as the defensive coordinator, right? And they just really completely revamped this offense. They spent some time together at the Eagles. If you don't count the slow start and an eventual blowout versus Bowling Green, that this is a team whose only time trailing this entire year has actually come against South Alabama. I'm just saying Utah isn't going to go down that easily, right? They're not going to have to take care of business in the beginning and then not worry about them. They haven't had to play run defense as much because most of the time the other team's playing from behind, right? Utah's averaging 200 yards on the ground, and, and the running game brings a different level of physicality. Utah also has another 250 in the air on average, so it's a very balanced offense. I'm looking forward to seeing how Bill McGovern calls the game. He's known for very, like, mixing up coverages. He's not designated as 3-4, not 4-3, not 3-3-5. Won't commit to zone, won't commit to man. He's got to mix a lot of things up, and I'm I'm excited to see how Utah handle it, handles it on offense. I'm looking forward to seeing how UCLA handles adversity that they can't give themselves because if they give themselves any like they did against South Alabama, this is an easy Utah victory. Yeah, I mean, this game could decide the uh, Pac-12 South, or, or we could look at it as a Pac-12 South eliminator. Um, granted, if one of these teams does lose to USC, if USC has one loss, um, you know, this could be an eliminator, honestly. I mean, it, it could be um, that UCLA loses to Utah or Utah loses to UCLA and then loses to USC and then they're eliminated from the Pac-12 spot. But I mean, the quarterback battle is among one of the one of the sexiest of the year. Cam Rising versus DTR. Cam Rising, a guy that a lot of people considered a, a Heisman dark horse. This game is must-watch TV. I mean, it's not quite big new kickoff must-watch TV, granted, because it's, you know, being played at the Rose Bowl Stadium. But, you know, like, you know, 4.30 or 3.30 on Fox is not bad. It's it's a great spot to be. Um, and I'm excited for a lot of points. And I like what you said about Utah having a healthy reaction to a loss. Uh, my first game is not only on the other end of the country, but a subdivision below. Uh, hint, hint. I mean, it's 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 a Holy Cross Crusaders versus Bucknell at uh at Polar Park for the second annual EBW Classic. You know, I'm dressed for the occasion. I got my fit check. I got Smiley with me. You know, my uh, my Smiley Ball Plus, the mascot for the Worcester Red Sox. But on a serious note. Holy Cross could be a dark horse in this year's playoff. And a lot of people are wondering how they would how they would fare against Harvard at Harvard Stadium. And this is the Harvard team that came oh so close to winning the Ivy League title last year. They had that insane five overtime game against against Princeton, who I think want to share the title last year. Um, and then they came into Harvard and they not only beat Harvard, they won by two scores, 30 to 21. Uh, it was their first win at Harvard Stadium since 2000 when I was one year one year old I think Jackson probably we're probably the same age right one year old in 2000 right yeah well I mean we both were one year old uh first win at Harvard since then just a great performance by the Satyrs uh, I think it was like the first time that they had beaten that they had beaten uh Harvard in a few tries I think they had a losing streak which I'm going to check really quick here uh should have had this part of my research but I think at this point now too um while I look for these while I look for this stat right here against Harvard now, um, as far as quality of competition, this isn't one of your games to watch of the week, right? This is a Bucknell team. Oh, absolutely team. it is. Out 41. It's ballpark football. It's ballpark football. It, as you're, far as you're quality right. of the game, as far as the X's and O's, man, come on. Like, this is a, this is a Bucknell team that lost 41-0 to Central Michigan. They lost to VMI. They lost to Lafayette. Man, they lost, it was last year, but they got blown out by Army by like over 50 points. And look at how bad Army is. So I will say this. Somehow. But I will say this. I think I think now is the time to have the, the conversation about Matt Sluka and the Walter Payton Award. Because on the year, Matthew Sluka, the Zach Wilson of the Seven Hills, has 1,176 yards, 11 touchdowns, one pick, 352 rushing yards, and five touchdowns. And, and we just talked about a great quarterback matchup between um Cameron Rising and Dorian Thompson Robinson talk about a great one with Matthew Sluka versus Tim Demore at later this year in a game that will 
will in all likelihood decide the Patriot League. So if anything, watch it for ballpark football. I was at the EBW Classic last year. Watch as you can see Matthew Sluka, Peter Oliver scoring touchdowns in the shadow of the right field Worcester wall. Uh, it while it won't, it should not be. A, it should not be a great competitive game. Um, ballpark football is always great for everyone, you know. And come on, you know, you gotta watch it for Smiley. I will give you that ballpark football. We're we're suckers for that here on Hardware. Always enjoy watching it. Of course, we love Holy Cross. It's really the unofficial team for us, right? So uh, best of luck to, to Sluka and the Zach Wilson of the Seven Hills in that game. They'll, they'll definitely need it versus Bucknell for sure. I'll go ahead and go with the polar opposite game for me, a uh, game to watch for me. Tennessee at LSU, a game we talked about in Hooker a little bit earlier in the show. Omar, I know you hate talking SEC football if you talk it at all, but this game we really will find a lot out. I want to think about it first from Tennessee's perspective, right? You're going into Death Valley. You're bold enough to wear those awesome smoky gray uniforms on the road, right? This is a better LSU team than I think we thought, right? They're a blocked extra point away versus Florida State from being ranked, honestly, maybe in the top 10 if they make that extra point. And considering their head coach has a lot of playoff experience, I think they're obviously given the benefit of the doubt with that as well. And from Tennessee's perspective again, right, you get the best of both and that you're coming off of a huge in-division rivalry win versus Florida. And then last week you got the bye week where you can recover and recuperate, right? If you win this game, you're probably getting the college game day again, treatment again in Knoxville for the Alabama game, since it'll be a top 10 matchup. If you lose, man, you're just another disappointing Tennessee team that realistically they could lose four out of their next five going into early November. Now think about it from LSU's perspective. You won a tough game on the road last week versus Auburn. Next week, you have a tough road game in the swamp at night and a sold out crowd. And then you have to play two top 10 teams after that. We, we've seen Tennessee hyped up before. It usually doesn't last in, into October, though. So we're looking to see, do they get caught looking ahead? Do they overlook Tennessee? They, they should take care of this at home. But really, what I look at is, who do I who do I trust less? Was Josh Hoople or, or Brian Kelly, right? And honestly, I have to say Josh because we've seen Brian Kelly have extraordinary success as long as it's not a game in an NFL stadium after Christmas. We don't know what, what Josh Hupel is yet. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm, I'm thinking LSU wins this game. But if Tennessee wins, they're a lot better than I've been giving them credit for this whole year. Yeah, I mean – it's, it's a rare cross-divisional matchup between these two schools, so that's definitely a treat in itself. But, I mean, I like what you said about if they lose again, it's, a, it's another disappointing Tennessee team because I've been telling Tennessee fans at work or a certain Tennessee fan that this doesn't feel like 98. This feels like 2016 when the wheels fell off after the Hail Mary, after Butch Jones started crying on the floor of Neyland Stadium after the Hail Mary. That's what it feels like to me. You know, it's like maybe I'm not, I'm not watching. Maybe it's different. Maybe I'm not watching enough SEC football, but I can't help but think that. So, Definitely an exciting game for sure. I mean, you you know, I got the I got the Northeast. Jackson's got the got the SEC. You know, you know how this podcast works. So I'm gonna stay in the Northeast for my next game. Ivy League Friday night. We got Cornell versus Harvard. Week two, a, a really fascinating game. Uh, I mean, week one, the the premiere of Ivy League Friday night was absolutely electric. We had, I think it was a, I think it was a, a triple overtime game. I, actually, no, I think it was five. I think it was a five overtime game. Uh, with uh, Dartmouth and Princeton, which I gotta check. I gotta check how many overtimes that game had. Uh, but it was an overtime game with Penn going to three and zero, beating league power Dartmouth. And that game was holy moly, what the heck? Okay, this the box score is not showing up on the ESPN app. But anyway, Cornell is two and one. They just beat Colgate on the road. Uh, in a really emotionally charged rivalry game, their quarterback Jamison Wong is a star in the making. Last week he had over he had ninety eight yards rushing. Um, Jesus, <laughs> I'm all discombobulated, but I'm getting excited talking about Cornell. But yeah, like he had 98 yards rushing, two touchdowns. He had 284 yards and a touchdown. In last year's game against Colgate on Friday night, Jamison Wong was the first was the first quarter was the first Colgate freshman to pass and run for a touchdown ever. Uh, he followed up that 
that this year's Cole or last year's Colgate performance with, with another masterpiece against Colgate against Harvard. Like I mentioned earlier, they have the loss to Holy Cross in the rivalry game. That's a nice rhyme. The loss to Holy Cross in the rivalry game, a very emotionally charged game. We'll see if Harvard has a bit of a hangover on a Friday night coming on a short week on the road at Ithaca to Shellcock Field. I mean, um, should be a good atmosphere. I think, I think if anything, Cornell fans should outnumber Harvard fans because Harvard is not – Harvard to Ithaca, it's not an easy drive to make, especially on a Friday night. So I think the student section should represent well for Cornell, and this game should be close. Like last year – uh, Cornell went two and eight, but they they only they only lost to Harvard twenty four to ten, and that game was seventeen to ten until Harvard scored a garbage time touchdown with under two minutes left. So on Friday night, if you're gonna watch this game before a certain Mountain West game that Jackson's gonna talk about, you know, then go go right on ahead and watch this one for your early game. Omar, you're really like trying to pick some ground up on this tradition being Ivy League Friday nights that I, I don't think many Americans have. So let's get this let's get this rolling, keep it going. Never heard the perspective of maybe Harvard is going to have a hangover going into the next week, but there's a first time for everything, right? I'll go ahead and go with the game that I am most excited about by a landslide for this weekend. And I, I'm saying that with no sarcasm. Like, I'm very intrigued and interested to watch this game. UNLV on the road versus San Jose State. No disrespect to Fresno State, Nevada, or Hawaii. We love Hawaii on this show. This really is the Mountain West West Division Championship, right? Now, here's the thing that... I want to give an edge to San Jose State because UNLV has lost six out of their last eight road games, right? Maybe they need to start bringing the turnover slot machine on the road. Um, San Jose State, though, man, Wyoming head coach Craig Bull talked about, like, man, they're like NFL guys on that San Jose State defensive line, right? Like, they are better than they look on tape. It was a shock when you play them in person. And I'm looking forward to seeing especially that front four for San Jose State. Um, I'm assuming it's going to be minus Noah White. Scary situation for the senior uh, defensive tackle. But, man, hopefully he's doing better. And um, looking forward to seeing a, a healthy San Jose State front seven unit. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, like, I did not know Craig Bull said that about uh, San Jose State after the game because, like, they look dominant against Wyoming. And this is on, on Bulls and Boos. We talked about Wyoming being potentially the Mountain West Mountain Division champion. They hold the tiebreaker over Air Force. <clears throat> Excuse me. They have one conference loss. They have one loss in conference. So they hold that tiebreaker. But San Jose State dominated. And who would have known that before the season that UNLV, San Jose State, would have been the, the Mountain West West Division game of the year? Like, I think a lot of people either guess that, you know, I guess not the Mountain West West, but the Mountain West game of the year. I'll, I'll take it one step further. A lot of people might have looked at, um, you know, Boise State, Utah State. That game's on Black Friday. So, I mean, they they definitely that game's on Black Friday on CBS. So people thought that was the game of the year. It's not looking that way. San Diego State's having an off year. Fresno State might have lost Jake Hayner for a significant amount of time, and they just lost to UConn. So that opens the door for these two programs for to have, I guess, not a rare, a rare good year for San Jose State because they went to the title game in 2020. But UNLV hasn't been to a bowl since 2013. They've only been to two bowls since 1999. This might be a renaissance. Like Marcus Arroyo looks like he's doing a I mean, it looks like he's turned that program around. So I'm very excited for this one as well Um, at the Roomba. Actually, no, it's I think it's at, it's at San Jose because last year's game was at the Roomba. But uh, it should be a great game. I know our I know, I know our friend of the podcast, Dak, the San Jose State Duck, will be up for that one uh, and at the game. So excited for him to be able to take that in. My game again, we're going to go back from the West Coast back to the um, back to the Atlantic. No, go ahead. Sorry, Omar, one more thing I want to mention about this game that is something that are maybe not specifically about this game, but they have to get through this game in order to have this opportunity. UNLV, obviously on the road versus San Jose State this week. The next two weeks are going to be Air Force at home and on the road to Notre Dame. Then they have the bye week going into November. Something important to remember, the first college football playoff rankings come out I believe it's November 1st. I believe that's a Tuesday there. For the Mountain West, it's not like I believe it is the map where it's alternating years of who gets the home game for the conference championship. It's not like the, a lot of the Power Fives where it's a neutral site. The default is going to be the highest 
if there is like the tiebreaker for it is the highest college football playoff ranking, right? If the the win loss record is identical, the win loss record in conference percentage is identical. So you've got to think what a resume that would be going into the first college football playing camp college football playoff rankings which really sets the groundwork for the rest of the rankings right if you can win versus air force one of the best group of five teams that we were seeing this year and probably one of the most hyped and then on the road to notre dame you can win those two as unlv it puts you like where you're basically guaranteed that tiebreaker to host the conference championship game. I don't know if it's a great home environment, but at least you don't have to go on the road in that case. Yeah, for sure. That's something I overlooked the whole tiebreaker thing with conferences, which we touched into a little bit uh, talking about the American. But uh, yeah, I mean, go- going back to uh, the East Coast for my last game of the week, uh, we got we got Boston College against Clemson, the Red Bandana game. And this game is so much bigger than football. I, I get chills down my spine talking about the red bandana game. For those of you that are unaware, I'm going to briefly tell the story. Uh, and no, and I just can't do the story enough justice to tell it. 9-11, the, the, I mean, the great tragedy, of course, that we all know about. Wells Crowther, Boston College lacrosse player, was at the World Trade Center. And he went up and saved as many as 19 lives before passing away in the in the in the towers. And the people that, that he saved remembered him for wearing a red bandana that he had carried since he was a kid. I'm getting chills right now. I'm getting kind of choked up. It's an amazing story. Boston College, since 2014, has held a home game. It's always been a night game where they've worn the red bandana, the red bandana uniforms where, like, they, you know, they have red bandanas in the numbers and everything. The uniforms look great, but the story is great, and it's great to keep Wells Crowther's memory alive. Well, guess what? This game's on ABC. It's Saturday night football. Clemson is going to Boston College. Boston College might have turned the page in the season with the, with the come-from-behind victory over Louisville in a game where everyone wrote them off, but in the words of Geno Smith, I ain't right back. But anyway, uh, Phil Dracovic, I mean, Phil Dracovic could have the game of his career, honestly, I mean, against Clemson. Because Phil Dracovic, going into the year, I know I had Phil Dracovic as a Heisman Dark Horse. Uh, my, my good friend John of uh, Northeast Bull Rush, we, we've been the lead conductors of, of the Phil Dracovic Heisman train, but it just hasn't worked out. But a home game on Chestnut Hill against Clemson. I mean, you look back at 2018, the last time that Saturday Night Football went to Chestnut Hill for Clemson-Boston College, or went to Chestnut Hill in general, you know, uh, Boston College controlled their own destiny in the ACC Atlantic. A win there would have given them the tiebreaker over Clemson. And the game was close. It was 13-7 to at halftime, but the wheels fell off when Anthony Brown got injured and a young EJ Perry entered the game and he was not EJ Perry as we know him at that time and struggled, which led to, to, to Clemson beating Boston College 34-7. Hopefully, Jacoby doesn't get hurt, but I can see this one being a, a good game, honestly. I can see Boston College slowing the game down with Pat Garwo... Garwo Garwo running the football, uh, a thousand yard rusher last year. He has 225 yards. He struggled this year, but I mean, I I, I just feel like that with the red, the magic of the red bandanas. They beat number eight USC at home in the first ever red red bandana game. I mean, great things happen when the bandanas out. They beat in Florida State on a Friday night. They beat in Miami on a on a on a Thursday night game with the red bandanas. So it's like. You know, I'm excited for it. Saturday Night Football, Boston College, Clemson, in memory of Wells Crowther, Wells Crowther may, may rest in peace. No, absolutely. That's going to be absolutely an electric environment to to watch, I especially with the Ren Bandana context, right? Um, I think that there's not a broadcast in college football that does a better job really capturing the moment of what you're watching than Saturday Night Football on ABC yes, does. Risky. Man, they they do some amazing work on there. It's absolutely worth a watch, even if you don't want to watch the game. Man, tune in for the last like twenty minutes of pregame just to watch. It's always amazing to see the work that they do. So that's absolutely something that yeah, man, I'm looking looking forward to watching. Um, Omar, did you want to go ahead and move on to our our players to watch for the week, or what? What do you want to do, man? Oh, um, I I thought we were moving away from players to watch, so I did not prepare any. You're good, man. You're good. I'll quickly talk about um two different guys real quick, if that's cool. Um, I'll go with first. That's that's my bad. I think we did talk about that. That that's on my end. Um, Tyree Wilson, uh, the defensive end from Texas Tech, man, last week had a monstrous week versus Kansas State, despite the loss, six tackles, two sacks, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery. 
elite, elite power. He's not going to be an edge that you can have a tight end do a quick chip block or a running back do some pass protection on. It's his power combined with his length, man, 36-inch arms, and has so much upside as a prospect because of that. He's gotten better with hand usage. He's gotten better with a little bit of patience. He's gotten better with his technique, right? My main concern for me is get off right now, which is not a concern that you want to have for a defensive lineman. Again, man, size, length, power, he has all those, and I don't want to say it compensates for the lack of get off but he does have an incredibly high ceiling we just need to see a little bit better timing i went back i watched a little bit of his all 22 versus oklahoma state last year obviously tech plays oklahoma state this week looking forward to seeing hopefully some improvement on that you can watch that 3 30 eastern this week uh, my next guy a guy i'm sure a lot of you are aware of since if you're listening to this, you probably follow a group of five football. Ali Jennings, the wide receiver from Old Dominion in West Virginia transfer, leads college football right now with 688 yards. The only game he didn't have a touchdown this year was against Virginia Tech. He did have three versus East Carolina, though, the next week to make up for it. Um, not the most uh, developed route tree, I'll just say that. But it's because of his elite, elite ball skills that his simple route tree allows for incredible production. I'm not comparing the two. I'm not saying they're the same. Reminded me a little bit of Mike Evans with those ball skills because they can throw a fade straight to him. They can do like a quick, like a like a, a, a across the middle line, like a little deep cross. Always hits it. It's amazing to see. Looking forward to seeing Jennings this week as well. Yeah, I mean, the sun belt's loaded. I mean, Old Dominion is definitely evidence of that. We know about App State, Coastal Carolina, heck, even Troy, uh, for that matter, you know, with their, their win against, or against their, their near victory against App State. And then James Madison, too. I mean, Old Dominion just adds to that. They beat Virginia Tech. They almost beat Virginia. Uh, Ricky Ronnie's doing a great job uh, out there with Old Dominion. Um, and they, they're a force to be reckoned with, for sure. I mean, they got great recruiting ground, and Ollie Jennings, you know, just adds to uh, the talent there with that program. So, I mean, Ricky Ronnie continuing to do a great job out there for, uh, for Old Dominion and for representing the Sun Belt well. Um, I have nothing else, Jackson. I mean, I, I don't know if you all have anything to finish. That's it for me, man. That's it for me. Just excited for another great week of college football. And, uh, yeah. Yes, Sirski. And until next time, everyone, peace, love, and soul.